Welcome to Process to Profitability, a podcast all about the tools and strategies you need to serve your clients and grow your small business, hosted by me, Samantha Mabe of Lemon in the Sea. Join me as I chat with creative entrepreneurs and small business owners about how they built and grew their businesses and how you can do the same in a way that fits you. Let's get started. You're listening to episode 87 of Process to Profitability. Today, I'm talking about planning for maternity leave with Ariana Tabuada. We cover a ton of topics in this episode, specifically for expecting entrepreneurs, but even if you are just looking at planning for the future and taking a leave in your business, this is a really helpful episode. We talk about how a baby is going to affect your business and Ariana's tips for baby proofing while you're still in the planning stages. She also gives us tips on changes that we can make to our website and how we can let our current clients know what our plans are in advance so that everybody is prepared for what's to come. She also talks about building a support network when we find out that we're pregnant and why it's important to have a transition time to learn the balance between new motherhood and business. Ariana is a mental health expert, author, and owner of a consulting firm that helps female founders intelligently design maternity leave plans that meet their business model and personal needs. Prior to her consulting practice, Ariana worked on mental health issues for over a decade as a health educator, a social work in a mental health clinic, a reproductive health researcher, and a yoga therapist. She draws from her expertise as a maternal health professional, combined with her experience as a business owner and mother, to provide highly personalized services for service-based entrepreneurs. She is deeply committed to providing ongoing, multifaceted support that meets the professional, physical, mental, social, and emotional needs of entrepreneurs as they baby-proof their business and navigate new motherhood. Ariana lives, works, and plays with her family in Berkeley, California. Hi, Ariana. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I read your bio at the top of the show, but I'd love if you'd tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got started in business. Sure. So I am the founder and and owner of a maternity leave consulting firm. Um, I got my start in the realm of maternal health in formal healthcare settings. So I'm a health educator by training, then went and got a degree in social work and eventually went to school um, for a master's of science degree in maternal and child health. So I worked a lot in mental health settings, in safety net uh, health settings, really working with women who were planning and having their families and growing their families and trying to figure out how to navigate uh, postpartum, including maternity leave in some pretty challenging circumstances. So I worked with a lot of women um, living in poverty, uh, struggling with homelessness, around a lot of domestic violence and immigration related issues. Um, So I definitely got my initial start in the field, really learning how to solve challenging problems. Um, And parlayed that into my one-on-one work with business owners who most people don't think of as vulnerable populations, but you and I were probably, you know, on the same page. What led into this interview is that it can be really challenging to think about maternity leave as a solopreneur, as a small business owner, as a freelancer, because there is no structure or roadmap or really safety net system for us. So I'm driven kind of by this larger social justice issue, um, but really honored to work with women day in and day out around, um, around the practical application of how do you actually make it work with your business model and your personal needs. 
I love that. And I love that you kind of experienced this with some people who really could use that help. I know so many businesses here don't have anything built in for maternity leave. So it's a hard thing to be able to figure out and navigate whether you run your own business or not. Yeah, it's a challenge overall. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'd love to talk about why entrepreneurs and business owners like my listeners or what they should know about how having a baby affects their business. Sure. So, I mean, because I'm in the uh, the world of maternity leave planning, um, people might guess that planning is important. <laughs> that I would really, you know, highlight that planning for something that you don't know a whole lot about. So I work with a lot of first-time moms, and it's kind of planning with this inherent feeling of unknowns and uncertainties. Um, so. What I always say is that just as important as the actual planning is knowing how to pivot or being comforted by the fact that the plan will likely change and that pivoting and small tweaks to plans is actually something that you probably know how to do as a business owner. You've probably had a project not go exactly as planned or a launch go a little awry or had to make a tweak in the middle of a service or product. Um, so kind of trusting, knowing, making sure entrepreneurs know um, or expecting entrepreneurs know that having a baby will draw on some of those same skills and abilities to, to pivot and plan and then pivot again, um, that those will be translatable to, to parenthood as well. And I know this topic is a little bit different than in the past where I've talked about planning for, you know, a leave where you're coming back like normal. So you maybe went on vacation or you took a month off, but when you get back into your business, things are as they were. When you are on a maternity leave, you come back into your business and things are still very different because now you have a new baby to take care of. Yeah, it's a identity shift in a lot of ways and a shift in how you are functioning and able to show up and the state of mind that you're in on any given day. (laughs) So I'd love to know for expecting entrepreneurs what your tips are for baby proofing their businesses while they're still pregnant or even while they're just thinking about starting a family. So how can they start working on this as far in advance as possible to really get this planned out as much as we can. Yeah. So, I mean, you hinted at the fact that it's, it's never really too early, (laughs) but there, I have found that there is a thing as it's a little too late to develop and then execute on a plan. um, If you're like working until the 11th hour on that plan. Um, So I always like to share that the, I found that the second trimester is really a sweet spot, both to plan and to train um, any team members or contractors that might be helping you fill in on some of just the key business functions that keep keep your business running. Um, So that's the first tip. Um, The second tip is really, again, around timelines, but it's to keep in mind that babies come when they when they come. (laughs) So even when you're thinking, okay, I have nine months or I have 40 weeks, the conservative estimate that I like to give is, can you see if you can 
roll out your plan by 37 weeks. So even if your baby doesn't come until 38 weeks or 40 weeks or 42 weeks, um, you have a little bit of a buffer to make sure that the kinks are worked out. And that really is my, folds right into my last tip, which is to do trial runs of anything that you are planning on happening during maternity leave before you actually have that baby. So if you are outsourcing something, if you are automating something, if you are delegating something to give yourself and whoever's helping you with that, the opportunity to, to do so before you're out for real. Okay. So I'd love to talk about kind of what you have seen work for entrepreneurs in the past as far as how they map all of this out and kind of what they keep on their plate to keep the business running and what they kind of put off till later. Yeah. So I think first of all, just acknowledging that doing the planning work takes time. <laughs> so you need some protected white space to think through and assess what are your key business functions that need to keep running? Um, what are the personal factors that go into things? So that might include things like how long do you want your leave to be, depending on whether you have family or community nearby to help you during the postpartum recovery period. So taking stock of both the business and the personal aspects that really play into whatever a leave that is designed and tailored to your particular needs are. And, and like I said, carving out the time to, to actually do that thinking. There's also a great exercise um, that's basically a, a time audit. So I like to have folks really closely track like down to uh, 30 minute increments, their time for two weeks, and just see how their time is distributed. And from that detailed list of how you're spending your time, go through and assess, can any of this be batched? Um, can any of this be automated? Do I have to be doing all of this? Or is there, could this potentially be turned into SOP, a process that can be outsourced or delegated to someone else? And that that can um, be really clarifying for um, kind of the taking stock phase. And do you ever find, well, I'm sure that you found that a lot of times we're spending more time than we have to on things. So is it some of this like cutting down on how long your processes take? So you're really streamlining things. Yeah, that is accurate. And <laughs> I mean, a lot of, for example, someone like you, I have a few clients who are podcasters and they really struggled with, do I batch six months of interviews now, or do I select like a, the best of real, or do I start publishing episodes every other week instead of every week? So there's, there's no right or wrong way to do things, but it's really um, allowing yourself to think through and, and having a thought partner is often helpful to talk about it out loud um, for what decision is the best fit for your business. Um, so that might be like how, how podcasts um, fits into your larger business strategy and what's the best use of your time and energy. Um, so if looking at your calendar, you literally, literally wouldn't be able to fit in all the interviews that you'd need to do for um, to batch six months of interviews, then saying, okay, that, that option is off the table. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to know if you find that there's a sweet spot in how long of a maternity leave people like to take or if there's going to be any work that gets done during that time so that as we're looking ahead and planning, we kind of know how long we might want to take off, what we might be able to get done during that kind of maternity leave time so that we know what to expect. Yeah. So um, a few things goes into the question of how long is 
the right amount of time. Um, there's scientific evidence, which is pretty clearly indicates that the, the full postpartum period, that it's good to be getting rest during that whole time, which typically is framed around like the first six to eight to 12 weeks, depending on what literature you're reviewing. <laughs> um, but, you know, it depends what kind of birth you had and how long um, getting a hang of feeding takes and things like that. So, um, and there's no way to know that ahead of time. So I always encourage people to block out as much time as is financially viable for their family and um, communicate with clients and team members that you'll be off during that time. But in our work together and my work with, um, with clients, we'll also make, um, make a list of what are the tasks that if you're feeling better, like week two, what are the kind of tasks that you might enjoy doing and just kind of be able to get into? Sometimes it's just some like business strategy thinking. Sometimes it's taking an online course. Sometimes it is like answering emails. Um, and knowing that you have opportunities where you can jump back in um, but aren't committed to showing up at your full capacity is, is oftentimes comforting for business owners who the whole reason that you're, you're working for yourself is, is in theory because you're doing something that you gain a lot of purpose and motivation from. And so it can be hard, both financially and emotionally, to step completely away from it. But a outward communication that you're definitely on leave is my top recommendation. And then um, a plan for you to, to get your feet wet as you feel ready. Okay. So you mentioned that we need to let people know that we're going on maternity leave. So I'd love to talk about some tweaks that we can make to our websites to help as we plan this, to just communicate that to people who are finding us online. Sure. So I think especially for service-based businesses, which is primary audience that I work with, you know, if you're, if a lot of your revenue and a lot of your day-to-day -day work is client work, then it's, it is hard to figure out how am I going to kind of bridge this gap between the time that I stop working with clients that I know I won't be taking new clients and how to set all that up. So I often like to pretty early on before you're actually on leave, I have people set up a waitlist function on their website and to have it actually be an application process to, you know, some, some screening questions to join the waitlist so that you can use that waitlist even before you're out on leave. Um, and then once you actually have a date identified that you're going to be out on leave, to make that language clear in either on your website, if there's, um, if you have language around the next, your next availability or in your autoresponders, have some pre-written canned responses if people usually email asking to work with you um, and just have a variety of ways both on your website and also prepped to make communication as easy as possible when those leads and client inquiries come in so that you can not be having to on the fly make decisions about when could I fit this person in just have them sent or processed or screened into some kind of list that when you're ready you can go into and start responding to. Do you find that when you're setting up a waitlist like that, most of your clients, you know, that the people interested in working with them are willing to wait? Or is this something that some people are going to fall off of that list because they want to be able to work with you right away? Yeah, I mean, I think it totally depends on the the service type of service and kind of the industry um, that you're in. So for example, I've seen this go really well for a nutritionist who was able to set up waitlists and people were willing to wait 
you know, six months, even 12 months to work with her. She set it up pretty early on. Um, and then I know someone else who does high risk pregnancy stuff. And so she's had to make it very clear. I'm not taking new clients until this, this date so that someone who's eight months pregnant doesn't sign up to the wait list. Um, and there's just no way that she would even be able to, to serve that person in the next six months. So I think it does depend on the nature of the service. Things you know, some B2B things, people may or may not be willing to wait the amount of time. So I think just making clear what is the um, rough time slot that you would be able to begin work with them is helpful to indicate um, to the extent possible. Okay. And then when you're on maternity leave, would you leave this wait list up on your website so that people can just keep coming into it and have it set up with some autoresponders to let them know, like, this is when you hear back? so that we can continue to build that list of potential clients. Yes, definitely. And then it, it does make your outreach on the other end. You know, if you know that there's a list of 15 potential people who may be interested in working with you, that, that can be a nice thing to come back to as opposed to the other end of things, which is like thinking, oh man, I'm just getting back into this. I have to like start with the client leads and figure out like where I was tagged last on Facebook and follow up on old emails. So I think it definitely is useful to have that up the entire time you're on leave. When was the last time you checked to make sure your website was healthy? The only way to know if your website is serving your business and working correctly is to make maintenance a regular part of your to-do list. I've created a maintenance guide at lemonandthesea.com maintenance that will help you get a picture of how your website is performing, what's working and what isn't, and the things you can work on improving so that you can continue to show off your expertise and bring in more dream clients. Inside, you'll learn why website maintenance isn't something to put off until next week, 15 tasks you should be doing on a regular basis to maintain your website and the tasks you need to do weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. Get the guide at lemonandthesea.com slash maintenance. I'd also love to know if you have tips about letting our current clients, especially if they're ongoing projects that are kind of going to run into our maternity leave or that their project starts like for a lot of wedding people, their wedding will be after a maternity leave. How do we let them know what's going on? Individualized emails um, are what I have seen go over really well, just time and time again. Um, And that email has a couple key components. It's um, you don't have to necessarily say, I'm having a baby if you don't want. I mean, some people have very personal relationships with their clients, some people not so much. So no, letting them know that you will have um, limited availability or will be away completely during X and X dates, and then detailing out how their needs will be taken care of. So who will be responding to their emails or what response time might be like, or if you're delegating a piece of the project to someone else, uh, making sure that they know who that person is and how to get in touch with them. Um, And really when a client reads an email and at the end of the email, they feel like they are going to be well taken care of, then that is the the sentiment that really just speaks for itself. Um, I think just a standalone announcement of like, I'm going on leave would be, would be alarming. But if you start there and then um, go through all the ways in which you're going to ensure that the client's are going to be taken care of and their needs are going to be met, then that is really a a win-win. Okay. And do you have a recommendation on when or how far in advance we should let 
those clients know? Because I imagine that kind of thing needs to happen before maybe we just announce it to the whole world. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's so interesting because some clients might not be like tied into people's personal lives or community at all. But if this is a client who will see like a general pregnancy announcement, then yes, definitely ahead of, <laughs> ahead of then. Um, if they're clients that really have no window into your personal life, like you're not Facebook friends with them, you live across the world from them. The only contact you have is through Basecamp or, or email or, you know, whatever, whatever project management um, or communication tools you're using. Then I've seen, you know, anytime in the towards the end of the second trimester, beginning of the third trimester, to be totally fair game for communication. Um, again, it ties back to what we were talking about a little bit ago, which is if you are delegating or outsourcing things, um, and if there are things about the way that you work with the client that are going to change, then um, it's important to flag those things and test them out and, and make sure that the client is is onboarded to those changes as well. Um, so if it's, that's a little different than if it's like all the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't have any client facing impact. If that's changing, they don't necessarily need to be looped in. But if it's something like they're all of a sudden going to get emails from your assistant instead of from you, um, then definitely letting them know before that change happens is, is best practice. Okay. And do you have tips on sort of sharing sort something like this on social media and everywhere else that we might be marketing our business and building relationships with people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think language around growth and moving forward and excitement um, just resonate a lot with people. So when you're in the mindset where you can kind of share with that attitude and that sense of um, you know, whether it's uh, like we are getting a new addition to the X and X business family or we um, have some exciting news to share with, with the community that, um, again, making people feel like that this is something that, um, that is a positive thing on a personal level, but also on a business level. I have not seen many birth announcements done or baby pregnancy announcements done badly. <laughs> um, so I think enthusiasm goes a long way. And you've mentioned a couple times outsourcing and automating. So I'd love to know if you have some tools that you like to use for automation and then what kind of advice you have as far as bringing somebody on specifically in this period to help you manage your business. On the tools or um, kind of tech side, honestly, what I have seen um, be the lowest burden for a team or a business owner to handle is diving into something that they're already familiar with. So a lot of times people have something that they use um, and they can build on that. And so we, I always recommend that route as opposed to going down the route of what of the seven potential softwares do I have time <laughs> to test out and um, do a trial run of and, and it, it makes it more complicated, right? So figuring out, asking the question, can what I currently work with and I'm somewhat familiar with be kind of taken to, to the level that I need it? Um, and, you know, and kind of the decision tree <laughs> expands from there. And you're going to have to repeat the second part of your question because I already forgot it. <laughs> if you have advice on bringing somebody onto your team for this kind of a period, if you don't already have somebody. 
Yeah. So I have actually seen this, especially when people start their maternity leave planning at the beginning of second trimester, that it is actually ample time for someone to bring on either a temporary project manager or a kind of business operations person. Um, I think that pregnancy and planning for maternity leave, I've seen it actually be a catalyst for that leveling up in business um, when a business is perhaps ready to to have that role um, independent of the owner having a baby. But the fact that the owner is pregnant really puts a puts a sense of urgency on it. And I've seen people do hiring and training on amazingly, like seemingly impossible timelines. Um, <laughs> like I'm talking, you know, they identified that they needed a project manager second um, trimester, but they spent the rest of the second trimester like trying to put together the job description and, a, and really um, flesh out their standard operating procedures. And by the time they were hired, it was like nearing 35 weeks, but because they had gone through all the steps and their business was really ready for that role, it, it worked out beautifully. Um, I've seen that happen for like three or four clients in the past year. So it, and a lot of times, even when someone, you know, someone will say, okay, I'm going to bring on a temporary project manager during my leave um, because there are functions that need to be done and roles that need to be filled um, in my absence. And then they actually realize coming back, maybe this isn't temporary. Maybe this is something that will help me in the long run um, and allows the person to scale back into their business in a slow, intentional way as well. And I imagine part of the reason that works so well is when you're going on maternity leave, you're really looking at what are the very necessary tasks in my business. And if that's where you're starting to outsource, which is a, the advice that a lot of people give when hiring, you're already taking those steps. So you're not hiring out something that's not necessary or that isn't going to help your business. You're really already focused on what needs to be happening. Yeah. And that's where the time audit is so helpful because you, like when you have all the data in front of you, it's pretty transparent, like what to pick out, like what are the core business functions and what am I wasting a lot of time on? All right. So I'd love to talk about having a support network when we find out that we're pregnant, both kind of as a personal life thing and in our businesses. Um, so this is definitely one of my favorite topics. I like get all get all excited every time I talk about postpartum support. And I rely a lot on actually my my formal training in in healthcare and use a tool called an eco map, which is literally a visual map and a way of mapping out the supports that you have. Um, you can do it for your personal life and for your professional business life. Um, and it asks you to think about the people in your kind of immediate circle. So for family, this will be like immediate family. The next rung out is more thinking about your wider community, people who you would feel comfortable calling for help with a meal or calling for help if you have an older kid and need school pickups. The wider circle. Um, so if you are trying to envision what this looks like, it looks like a circle within circles is what the map ultimately looks like. And the, the widest circle is um, the people who you may not have direct 
um, relationships and contacts built with, but who are people that may be key um, in your in providing you with support. So sometimes um, this is a lactation consultant, or this is a new mom's group that's in your area, or um, a maternal mental health professional. So similarly for, for business, you can think about um, the widening circle of people who are directly involved in your business, people who are part of, kind of your business community, and experts who you might not have relationships with, but who may be really helpful in the new phase of business that you're moving into as, um, as a parent. And that allows you to really clearly just see, are there any places where I don't have a whole lot of support? Is my support concentrated in the inner circle or the outer circle? Do I need to talk to some people to see what professional support is available um, in my industry or in my immediate area? Um, so it, it allows you to visualize both the strengths and the gaps in your support system. So for the professional support, I think that's probably one people don't have as many connections with, especially if they're first-time moms. So are those people we reach out to, or is it just kind of people we have in mind if we need somebody so that we're not trying to Google search while we have an issue? Yeah, the latter. It sounds like maybe <laughs> you and I have both been there where you're like frantically typing things into your phone with a screaming baby. <laughs> yes, it is identifying who the potential people that you would reach out to are and writing things down. I, you know, kind of you can think of it as like a digital Rolodex. You can literally have a Google Doc that all these numbers are just listed of numbers you could call or emails, email addresses who you could reach out to in the event that you need support around X, Y, and Z. So it's essentially doing the research before you actually encounter the problem so that if you do end up um, having any challenges, you have a, a Rolodex to go to instead of frantically Googling. <laughs> Okay. And I'd love to know, because I personally am not great at asking for help, do you have advice on reaching out to these people either before or after your baby is born to get this help that you need? Yeah. So I, we should, as I'm talking, I'm realizing we should totally share um, in the um, show notes or whatever, whatever other way makes sense of uh, exercise that I have. It's kind of a DIY workbook on this exact thing about okay. identifying your support network and the gaps in your support network and then how to make specific asks of people. And so I do recommend making your asks as specific as possible and also making your boundaries, communicating your boundaries as clearly as possible. So this is helpful when there's lots of well-meaning family or friends um, and the way that they would like to provide support may not feel the most supportive or the most helpful for you. <laughs> um, so identifying what are the specific ways that would help you bond with baby or give you the ability to, to do some of the things that make you feel most rested or most like you. So a lot of times it's just like the stuff that needs to get done. So thinking about who can help me fold laundry? Who could bring me a hot meal if I'm really hungry? Who could run to the grocery store for me if, if it's um, been a day where I'm not going to make it out of the house? And those are often conversations that aren't always the easiest conversations. Um, there's a lot of emotions at stake when people want to be helpful and you have to articulate how they can actually be helpful. Um, so if, if it's like making you nervous to think about having these conversations with your um, mother-in-law or with your neighbor or with your sister, um, know that that's normal and that practice is useful. 
And I think it's really good to have kind of a list of ideas, like you said, of ways that people might be able to support you because it seems like there's always people who are willing to help. They just need you to tell them what to do. Yeah, just giving them some direction. So it can be a list you have printed on the fridge. It can be a list you have in a canned email response. It can be something that you can like <laughs> pull into a text message um, automatically. Yeah, just knowing what are the things that would make you feel supported and how you can let people know when they ask the like, what do you need? How can I help question having a specific answer for them? So why is it important to have a transition time to learn the balance that we need between having a new baby and our business? And how do we structure that time as we're getting back into work? So this is also one of the curious things about the self-employed population is, I mean, we talked about at the top of the interview that maternity leave is kind of in a state of crisis in the U.S. <laughs> overall. One of the places that I found is a silver lining for self-employed people is that you don't have to go from full-time leave to full-time back to work in a matter of like one day to the next. Um, so a scaling back up approach is something that I recommend and find to be really successful and also looks um, pretty unique for every, every woman, every business. And so I like to think of it as planning with, a, with attitude of, of experimentation and curiosity, thinking about gradually getting back and working your way back up to whatever ends up being a quote-unquote full-time work. So I, mean, I can give the example of, of myself. I ended up, I blocked out and planned financially for four full months off. And then at six weeks, ended up kind of dipping my toes back in for a little bit. I had eight hours of childcare and six of those hours, um, eight hours a week and six of those hours, I ended up doing some business stuff and really getting a lot out of that in a time where I was feeling pretty lost <laughs> in new motherhood. So I felt like my old, confident, productive self when I got to sit down and do something that I really loved work-wise. And over the course of um, really my son's first year of life, I gradually built on those eight hours and got all the way back up to 30 hours a week, which was full-time for what I built into my full-time um, schedule for work. Um, and that took quite a few months. And then when he was a year and a half, I went back full-time, full-time. So um, he went to daycare full-time and I had a semi-normal work week. <laughs> I love that you mentioned that it took quite a long time. Like this was not something you built back up in a month or two months. You know, it took a year and then a year and a half to really get back into what you were doing before you were on leave. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think I anticipated it as much as, you know, all my, all my training, I guess, should have prepared <laughs> me for that reality. Everyone talks about like, if you go back full time, it's such a jolt to, to the system and to your brain and to, you know, breastfeeding and all the, other, all the other logistics that are involved. So I had planned on not going back full time, but didn't realize what a difference it makes to have the mentality that this can be a gradual thing. Um, and also allow the logistics to support that gradual return. So one of the reasons that we didn't go the daycare route immediately is because I still wanted to not really be working all that much. So 
that worked for our family. Um, and like I said, there's, there's no right or wrong way. I've seen it be done every way. You know, I've seen leaves of two weeks completely off um, and then a gradual return, six weeks completely off, um, six months completely off, a whole year completely off. Um, and when I say completely off, it's like, you know, you probably can, your listeners can probably resonate with the like, oh, but you can't resist doing one or two things every now and then. Um, so it really is so unique. Okay. And when we talk about this, so when you're contacting your clients to kind of tell them when you're starting leave, do you also tell them when they can expect you back? Or do you leave that open so you have this longer transition time? Yeah, um, I think it, again, it depends so much on the nature of the service that you offer, the type of business model that you have. Um, so a lot of people who do project-based work actually decide to end all active projects by the time that they are going on leave. Um, or if they, you know, if a project ends when they're like eight months pregnant, they wouldn't start a new project with that same client. Um, so I found that giving clients a rough timeline is useful and building that into your maternity leave plan. So the, we talked earlier about what's the, what's the external facing communication and that external facing client facing communication should really be about the time that you are going to be doing client work again. And then if you reach that time and you you know, are feeling ready to do more work than you anticipated or less work than you anticipated, then you can figure out like how many clients am I going to take back? Am I going to just do client work and keep outsourcing some of the other work so that I am back 15 hours instead of 30 hours? Um, so it, again, this kind of making a plan and then being able to pivot is key, but I have found it useful to give clients kind of a range, at least a small, small window of time that they can expect you to be back if they are people who you know are going to be working with you again. All right. So I'd love to wrap up with three action steps that listeners who are either expecting or planning families can take to start preparing their business for an extended leave like this. I'd say the first is to um, review or develop, if you don't have them, uh, standard operating procedures for the things that are really the core business functions, the things that keep your business running. So that mostly just takes time in terms of when you're doing the things, um, documenting it if you don't already have it documented. If you already have it documented, doing a review of those is super useful. And the second thing uh, is the time audit that I kept on mentioning. I found that even if you're not pregnant or looking to see how you can reconfigure what, the, what all the tasks on your plate are, um, that it's a really useful exercise to just learn what, how you are spending your time and what could be changed. Um, and the last thing I'll mention is learning from others. I think part of the challenge of taking leave as a business owner is that there isn't this set amount of time that we are all expecting to take or want to take. Um, so learning from people who have businesses similar to yours or are in uh, the same industry or a similar industry, that I found to be really helpful doing kind of informational interviews, um, coffee chats with women who have recently taken leave or have recently come back from leave so that you can just learn. Awesome. I always find it really interesting to read even the blog posts from other entrepreneurs around these types of topics. And people have put out some really great information there to just 
give us some information about how they managed something like this? Yes. Yeah. It's like there, there should really be maybe, a, maybe this will be a project, a blog tour of all the ways yeah. of the maternity leave <laughs> blog posts that <laughs> exist on the internet. All right. We always wrap up with a couple of questions. And the first one is, can you give an example of how serving your clients well has benefited your business? Sure. So I, as you might imagine, my business relies pretty heavily on referrals and word of mouth. <laughs> um, so I think I really make a point to make sure that my clients feel heard and listened to and supported. Um, so both in the business sense and in the personal sense. And that has really been what has kept me in business. <laughs> All right. So my next question is, tell me two things that you're loving right now. They can be business or life. Sure. Uh, I'll go with life. <laughs> that's, um, that's on my mind a lot lately. Um, I've been having this morning tea ritual that I do very early before my son even gets up where I take a spice mix from this local spice shop and I boil the spices and then I add milk and actual tea leaves and sugar and um, like t only takes... 15 minutes total. Um, and, you know, that might sound like a long time for a cup of tea, but it ends up being such a nice way to begin my morning and a, a really great way to spend some time with myself and kind of doing a practice in mindfulness, a practice in just being present, um, and then get to enjoy a cup of tea in silence by myself in the kitchen before, before the madness begins. <laughs> And, and the second thing, which is then the madness begins, it follows the tea, but I, I walk my son to school in the mornings. Um, it's not by any means like a short walk. It, you know, if I was walking by myself, it's like 20 minutes, but with a two and a half year old, it's more like 30, 40 minutes, depending on how many times we stop and smell flowers and look at bugs on the ground. Um, but it's, it's always a fun adventure first thing in the morning. Awesome. So the, we are recording this episode in November, but it's not coming out until January. But I would love to know what you're excited for that's coming up in the future. Yeah, so definitely long term future thing that I'm excited about, which it won't even be out by January. So this is, this is perfect, <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually writing um, a book that takes the, the methodology that I use in my one-on-one -on -one work and turning it into a process that folks can take, pick up, and do in a self-guided manner. Um, so a lot of the things we, we talked about, um, the exercises and the ways of processing information and reaching out and having conversations and assessing your support networks, a lot of that is being written up um, and put into this book that will likely be out sometime in 2019, definitely not by January. <laughs> <laughs> That's really exciting. I think having a book on this topic, especially for entrepreneurs, is going to be really helpful and it's something we don't have right now. Yeah, that was my feeling exactly. So when I was like, okay, I keep on recommending books that are tangentially helpful, but not what really what people need. I'm just going to write it. <laughs> okay. And so my last question is, where can people find you online? 
Sure. So um, my website, uh, which is my home on the internet, is just my name, arianatabawada.com, but that's not an easy name to spell. So if you go to the book website, it actually sends you there. The book website is theexpectingentrepreneur.com. So easier to remember, and um, it all ends, ends up in the same place. So I, like, like I said, I'm happy to connect with people, and you'll see me putting, putting that waitlist principle that we talked about into action on, on the book website. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved chatting about this topic. And I think everything in here is useful for entrepreneurs who are getting ready for maternity leave. But even just looking at taking a shorter leave or getting some tips for preparing their business for the future. So I'm excited for people to listen. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Samantha. It's been really fun to have our conversation. Thanks for listening to Process to Profitability. Please take a minute to leave an honest review in iTunes so that I can help more small business owners and creative entrepreneurs find the show.